0: Hey, good morning, Harvest. Hope you guys are doing well. It is good to be with you all. And uh, again, um, kudos to the creativity. We look forward to being able to have you to, at our home. Um, that's something we're going to do on a regular basis. So if you don't get in um, this this month, we're going to have it again. And, and again, we'd love the opportunity just to just get to know you a little bit more and, um, and just obviously eat some good dessert. So the, any excuse we can have to get together and eat I'm all for so, But we are in this conversation. We've been in this series walking through the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and uh, exploring. We don't have time to get through every single little verse and nuance in the entire book, but we've been kind of hopping through the book and taking notice of some really key conversations and stories that take place in that and help us understand who God is and see his goodness in the midst of this journey of life, recognizing we're all in different spots and what it means to understand who God is and even how we relate to him. Today, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22. So if you have your Bibles, your digital device, go and turn to Genesis 22. The verses will be coming up here on the screen as well. We're going to be taking a look at a conversation um, that takes place, this story that includes a man named Abraham and his son specifically named Isaac. Now, Before we dive in there, let me just take a moment. I want to pray for us as we get ready to dive in. Lord, we love you. We're thankful for the morning and just the opportunity to to be able to gather like this. Um, Even this week as we celebrated the freedoms that we get to have in our our country, the freedom that we can have right now to come together even in this location and worship you, Lord, is, is no other than a blessing from heaven above. And so thank you for that. Guide our time, guide our conversation, I pray in your name. Amen. Uh, you know true friends not based on if they remember your birthday not what kind of gift they may give you at Christmas you know your true friends by how if they show up to your house when you're moving um, that really is kind of the the staple of a a true friend um, and I can tell you I've been taken advantage of way too often in my life of hey Lee would you we're, we're having to move are you free on this date and I'm like No. Well, we'll move the date, you know, so that I I can have the freedom to come there. Um, Even most recently, I had a good friend, and I will classify, I'll put him in the good friend category. and say, hey, we're we're getting ready to move to North Carolina, which we were sad personally to see them go. Um, I could use some help if you're available. I said, I'll block off the day. Just tell me when you need to be there. He said, hey, if you could be at our house at noon, we're going to be loading the truck. I said, great. I'll make sure I'm there. I show up at noon, and I'm like, all right, let's get to work. And I start looking around and realizing there's nobody else here. This is a family of five, four-bedroom house, and it's he and me. And I'm like, it's summer, it's Orlando, and we got a whole lot of moving to do, right? And uh, I, I spent my time, like, I'm not afraid to lift heavy things at this point in my life, um, he wasn't blessed with that gene. So I'm looking at him, and I'm looking at myself, and I'm going, oh, this is not going to go well today, you know. 11 o'clock that night, yeah, 11 o'clock that night, we finally shut the, the door on the truck and said, we'll pick back up tomorrow Um, because we've been literally going all day. At that point, I'm like, I don't know if I'm this good of a friend anymore. Like, our friendship... It may be over at, at this moment. Like we have these moments sometimes in life where you find yourself in this moment going, I think I regret saying yes to this, right? Have you ever had one of those moments where whether or not it's a friend, whether or not it's a, a coworker, whether or not it's your boss, you're going, how in the world did I get suckered into this moment right now? It's, that's difficult. Like those are difficult, challenging moments. And, and yet we're going to take a look at a story today. Where God truly does want our yes, without even having to give all the explanations behind it. Um, Are you at that place? Like when it comes to your walk with Jesus, your understanding of who he is and what he wants to do in your life, even what he wants to accomplish through your life, are you at a place in your life where you can just say, God, I trust you enough to give you my yes? Yes. That's a hard place to be. And sometimes it means it may cost us everything. It may be painful. There may be these moments where you kind of go, why in the world did I say yes to this? This turned out a little bit different than I expected it to be. I'm going to give you the big idea this morning before we actually dive into our our. our passage for the day in Genesis 22, the big idea kind of where we're going to flow today is simply this idea. The goal isn't to have great faith, but the goal is to have consistent faith. Sometimes I think we want these moments that define us, that we can look back on and go, man, I performed incredibly well in that moment. And then we look back and we can sit back and we go, I've done my part. If if that's all we do when it comes to how we engage God and the access that we allow in his life, I'm telling you right now, you're missing out on a whole lot. One of the things I've come to realize at this stage of my life, I don't want my best days of my faith to be something I did yesterday. I don't want the best days, the best moments of my faith to be something I did five years ago. See, God wants us to grow in our understanding of who he is so that our faith grows along the journey as well. Why is faith so important? Well, you can think about it this way. Faith is God's love language. The book of Hebrews actually talks about that without our faith, it is impossible to please God. So the way that we demonstrate to our creator the one who's given everything to bring redemption into our lives, to bring restoration back to our lives, is to walk with a yes, walk saying, God, I trust in you. God, I'm going to choose this path of faith. Faith is God's love language. Without it, it's impossible to please God. Now, we're going to take a look at this story that's captured in Genesis 22, and you're going to see this faith journey, and it's extreme. There's elements of this that you just said there, how in the world can this be? Um, Hang in there. We're going to try to make sense of it this morning together. So let's go ahead and pick up Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Abraham is, we talked about in Genesis that 1 through 11 is about the development of of humanity. God is creating humanity. And then we saw that there's this transition that takes place around chapter 12. Chapter 12, we see that God is now establishing a people unto himself, the Hebrew people. In modern day, what we would look at as being the Jewish nation. And in doing so, he's given us an example. We can all see ourselves mirrored in the way that God's people, the Hebrew people, interacted with him. We see God's Faithfulness. We see God's redemptive plan being played out, and so it serves as a mirror to you and I as, as well to see what gaps that we have in our lives and be able to see who God is and how God continues to operate. And so I want you to have that understanding. God uses Abraham, and it's Abraham's seed that gives birth to the Hebrew people. Now, Abraham and his wife Sarah have been and fertile for majority of their life. And God gave them this promise that, hey, Abraham, I'm going to bring a great seed. I'm going to give you a son. You're going to become the father of a great, incredible nation, and I'm going to bless you in that. Well, you're getting up in years now, and there's still this sense of, God, where is this promise? Well, God delivers in on this promise, gives Abraham and his wife Sarah a son named Isaac. And so with that kind of background, that's where we're going to pick up in this this chapter. So Genesis 22, starting verse 1. It says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, first of all, this is not an easy trek. Most likely, you're looking at around 30 to 60 miles, depending on exactly where Abraham started. Plus, where are they going? They're going up into the mountains. So you have this 30, 60-mile trek with all the things that they need to take in order to make the sacrifice. Probably you're taking some servants, you're taking some animals, you're taking the wood, you're taking all this... And your son Isaac on this this trek, and you have elevation change. So, this is not an easy trek before them. Verse 3 So, Abraham rose early in the morning, he saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place in which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. So now there are three days in this journey. Then Abraham said to his young men, "'Stay here with the donkey, "'and I and the boy are going to go over there, "'and we're going to worship and come again to you. "'And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering "'and laid it on Isaac, his son, "'and he took his hand, the fire, and the knife, "'and so they went both of them together. "'And Isaac said to his father Abraham, "'My father,' and he said, "'Here I am, son.' "'He said, "'Behold the fire and the wood, "'but where is the lamb for a burnt offering?' Abraham said, Well, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Now, you've got to think about it for a moment. Isaac's smart. He's starting to put things together a little bit. They're on this journey, and he's looking around. He's carrying the wood up the mountaintop, and he's going, Dad, we've done this many times. Where's the lamb? It's like, Why do you have a knife in your hand? Where's the lamb? It really kind of, in a way, speaks to the incredible fatherhood of Abraham. Because there's a moment here, you got to capture this moment, Isaac didn't choose to run away. I, you think about it, he's probably teen, maybe just almost entering in, into his teenage years. He's smart, his dad's old, his dad... You know, when Isaac was born, his dad was 100 years old. He could have easily escaped if he wanted to. He could have ran away. But speaks something to the character and the person of Abraham. There was a trust here that Isaac even had of his dad. Verse 9, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay a hand, your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram. Caught in a thicket by his horns, Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of a son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The test that Abraham and not, I won't even just say Abraham, but the test that Abraham and Isaac walked through that we see captured in Genesis 22 was very real. There's moments that God shows up in our lives, and the tests that lay before us are very, very real. How are you going to react to those moments? How are you going to make sense of those moments? Because even as they took on this long journey before him, I can imagine the challenges and the doubt and the things that were rolling around in Abraham's head. God, I don't understand why you would ask me to do this. God, this doesn't make sense. You promised me this. You promised that out of my seed you would make a great nation. God, I have one son. This is it. Why in the world would you ask me to do this with my son? You must going to show up. God, you you got to show up because I, I don't. this just doesn't make sense. Have you ever been in one of those moments with God? where you, you have this wrestle, you have this internal angst, you're going, God, I, this doesn't make sense. From all earthly perspective, from my perspective, this is too much. 2015, my family moved from Arizona, the Phoenix metro area, to Florida. I, we had started a church in the Phoenix metro area. Things had gone extremely well. We couldn't have been more happier with what God was doing, but for some reason we sensed that God was calling us to, to say goodbye to our baby. I had pastors for years ask me, Lee, why in the world would you leave that church? And the exact illustration I, that I, I would give people was, guys, it was an Abraham-Isaac moment. I don't know how else to explain it, but there was a moment where God asked us to place our baby on the altar and walk away. And to take on this new adventure, and I I tell people honestly, we we didn't think we were going to be moving for a while. Like Melissa and I and the kids, we thought, well, he's just testing us. He wanted to see, hey, are we willing to move across country? Are we willing to move into this new position? And then we found ourselves, you know what? We're moving. And when God asked, we felt like the only thing we had to say was yes. God, we're, we're going to choose in this moment to give you our yes. And I can tell you, it hasn't been easy. Haven't been easy at all. And then while we we're here, I accepted a position overseeing church planting for a group called Converge that Harvest is a part of. And so trying to help establish churches all over the country, different places of the world that need desperately need churches. And eight years later, it came to a close. And there were moments that we sat here, even as Melissa and I go, even in this season, this past year, going, God, I don't get this. Why? You moved my family here. We do this. I could tell you right now, harvest would not exist if God hadn't moved us. I think about the lives that have been changed, the lives that have been affected, even in this community and you sit back and you get there and go, you know what, God? I'm glad we said yes. There there were seasons of pain, there're seasons of not understanding, there're seasons of questions, and the reality is God never owes us an answer. His ways are not our ways. He sees things that you and I don't see. The thing he wants to know is do we trust him enough to be able to walk forward in that? The tests sometimes are very very real. But faith in God, what I want us to understand is faith in God more often than not is literally learning to walk in obedience. Walking in obedience to do exactly what God is calling you to do. Obedience. Again, we all have these moments with our friends where a friend may come up and say, hey, can you do me a favor? most of the time at this point in our lives we're probably smart enough to go well it depends on the favor right? I don't know if I'm going to just say blank yes to that but the reality is that's what God wants from us. Whenever God tests our faith he's testing our obedience and what I've come to realize in my life and even as I observe other people's life obedience is never convenient it's never like when it perfectly makes sense in your life, where God says, hey, would you be willing to do this? Yes, I have margin. I have plenty of time, plenty of resources. My bank account's full. Now's the time to do it, right? Yeah. Never happens that way. It always seems to happen in the most inconvenient times of my week, my life, the month, whatever, when my bank account's at its smallest. And he's like, hey, would you be able to do it? I'm like, God, I don't have the money for that. Our adoption journey was that way. Some of you have seen the terror Chinese kid running around. That's our son. He's seven now. We, we just celebrated the fact he's been in our house for four years. His, his, his first three years were crazy. I've shared a little bit of that, that story. But there were moments in that journey even for us where it was like, God, I don't know why in the world you're calling us to say yes to this. But my wife for years when we were newly married, thought we were going to adopt. And she came to me and said, hey, what do you think about adoption? And I was like, I'll pray about it. You know, which is an easy way to say, yeah, I don't know if this is really our thing. And, and, and we pray about it, we talk about it, and then in routine I came back and I said, no, I just, I just don't think this is what God wants us to do right now. And then it was fall of 2014 she came back and said i'm just really wrestling with this can we pray about it again i said yeah i'll pray about it again let's take some time we'll fast even this time we prayed about it for a couple weeks and i came back and said i just don't think the timing's right i just don't i just I, i don't know what to tell you hon two weeks later is when we got asked to walk in 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 faith and move to florida and then we're like okay this makes sense and then in three months here in Florida, we were sitting in a church service, and some lady got up and began to share this idea. It was not really a planned part of the service. It was kind of an afterthought she just put up on the stage. And she began to share what are called redemptive adoptions, adoptions that go wrong, where people adopt kids and then decide they don't want them anymore, and then they dissolve the adoption. And I, I was like, I'd never heard of such a thing. Like, people really do that? And it broke my heart. And I remember we were walking out of the service and said, Hey, we need to go get some information about this. And she looks at me like, What? I'm like, I I just think we need to go do this. And we began the journey and the process and we began to ask a lot of questions and we realized, you know what, the redemptive adoption thing is probably not really our deal. Uh, Those kids tend to be older, they have a lot more problems. I just don't think we're at this position and this stage of our life to do this. But we decided, you know what? We think this is what God's calling us to do. We felt like our family was not quite complete, our time's to go. And we we're like, we're not going to do the foster thing because honestly, our goal is not reunification. Our goal was to bring somebody into our home. But that cost a lot of money. A lot of money. I don't know if you hear me. It cost a lot of money. And we didn't have it. And I remember going, God, I don't know how in the world, if this is a journey you want us to do, how in the world we're going to pay for this? but we're going to choose to say yes. And I can tell you, that journey was not easy. It was full of an enormous amount of pain. Part of our story is that we had four pairings with other kids, and every one of those pairings failed. One of them, we were literally out of state, Melissa and I. We had to have somebody come stay with our other kids. We're in Joplin, Missouri. We have custody of the baby, and literally in the 12th hour, the whole thing fell apart brokenhearted. We were three months away from going, we're done. We just spent $23,000. We're done. Just don't know how in the world this is going to work out. We got a phone call to go get Joshua. There was one moment as well. I remember, guys. And and you wonder how God shows up when you trust him, and when you walk by faith. We had to pay an $18,000 bill just to keep going 18,000 I didn't have it and I remember going God thank you for Visa you got to figure out how to pay that bill and we put it on the credit card you go God you have 30 days you got 30 days to figure out I don't know how in the world we're going to pay that bill about 26 days later I get a phone call, a random phone call from a denomination I never even heard of, going, "Lee, we want to hire you to come coach us. This is what we're a problem is. Would you be willing to do this?" And I'm like, "Well, what do you really want?" And they're like, "This is what we want." And I'm like, "Well, that's not cheap." And I said, "This is what it'll cost." And I'm like, "I'm looking at my bill. Like, God, is this of you?" I said, so "This is what I need." And they said, done. Never happened before. It's never happened since. God, in that moment, paid that entire bill. What I want you to understand is when you say yes to God, God shows up. He shows up. Faith is his love language. Obedience is what God calls us to. And I want you to understand obedience to God is always worth the price. God is not looking for one moment of great faith. God is looking for a consistent trajectory of walking by faith. Be consistent with your yes. Now here's the thing we need to understand about Abraham. Abraham wasn't always consistent in his faith. There's another son that was born to Abraham that was named Ishmael. Ishmael was not the son of Abraham and Sarah, his wife. They're getting old. They knew this promise. Sarah begins to have this idea. Well, maybe it's just me. And so she comes with Abraham with this brilliant idea. I don't think I can have child. So Abraham, why don't you sleep with my slave, my maid? Hagar, why don't you just sleep with her? Maybe this is God's solution. And Abraham's like, okay. And and he just chooses to go this direction. And Hagar and Abraham have a son. They name him Ishmael. And that inconsistent moment of Abraham's faith is rippled across generations for centuries. Because Ishmael is the birth seed of the Arabic people. And specifically, you can kind of trace the roots of Islam going all the way back towards that direction. And you have this back and forth, this battle that is waged on for years. It still has implications today. What we need to understand about faith is that faith requires us to not to try to play God. Faith is to trust the true God. There's always consequences of having inconsistent faith. We see it being played out in our world today where there's this eternal family feud. Impatience. Pride, disappointment oftentimes brings us to moments where we lack consistency in our faith. We lack the consistent ability to walk with God. We lack the ability to say yes to Him, because all of a sudden we want it to make sense for us, and so we try to define it. We try to make sense of it. Now there's multiple ways that sometimes our faith is tested. That to highlight, like there's four very specific ways that our faith is tested. And am we're not gonna go with this in depth, but I just thought if you're taking notes, this is this will help you. The first way in which our faith is oftentimes tested is we test ourselves. James chapter 1 actually talks about this. He says, when we're tempted, no one should say, God has tempted me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desires, he's dragged away and enticed. So sometimes the problem with us having a lack of faith is just ourselves. Like we've talked about going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, Like there's this thing deep down inside of us that when we look at God and we look at what God is doing, we kind of go, God, I don't know if this is true, like you're giving us the whole story. It seems like you may be holding out a little bit. I'm going to choose to do it my way. Like this is a natural bent. This is something, natural tendency that we all wrestle with deep down inside. And so sometimes the challenge to our faith, the challenge in our own spiritual journey is just ourselves. We want to define things our way. We don't want to do things God's way. The second is that the world in which we live in just tests us. The world is a hard place to live. It has a certain motion, a certain trajectory, a certain momentum. It's going this direction. And so when we decide to do something that is countercultural, and let me tell you, following Jesus is countercultural. It's hard. And your faith is going to be challenged. You're going to be tempted to go in that direction. The third is simply the devil sometimes tests us. Go to Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2. Now, the good thing you need to understand is that Satan just doesn't have direct access to do whatever he wants and wreak whatever havoc he wants to do in your life. God has to give the okay. And why in the world would God do that? Because his glory and his power is so tremendous that he can take whatever evil happens in this world, and when we allow it, he can actually turn it into good. The fourth thing is that God sometimes tests us. Abraham and Isaac are a great example of that. You can go to the book of John, and you can see in the moment where Jesus even feeds the 5,000, like there's this moment he tests Philip. So even God himself sometimes tests us. Why? Because a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. There's a willingness where he has to go, I need to know, are you real? Is this genuine? Are you doing what is called and what is needed to do? Here's what I want us to understand. When it comes to our faith, even in those moments where our faith is delayed obedience, I want you to understand delayed obedience is still disobedience. Like even with my kids, like we have this rotation in our house right now that, hey, Aaron, it's your turn to take out the trash. Noelle, now it's your turn to take out the trash. Josh, now it's your turn to take out the trash. And it just kind of rotates through the house. And that's an important task. Because if the trash doesn't get taken out, what happens? Like The house stinks. It starts to pile up. And so there's moments where they're like, I'll get to it. and You're like, no, I, I don't want you to get to it. I want you to do it now. Because there's chicken guts in there. And we all know what chicken guts smell like. Like, I need you to get it out of the house. I don't care if they come to me and go, well, Dad, I tattooed on my arm. I will take out the trash. I'm like, I I don't care, that take out the trash, right? Well, Dad, I, I read a bunch of books on how to take out the trash. Well, that's great. But did you take out the trash? There are moments in our life where we sit there and go, well, I went to a conference, talked all about the importance of taking out the trash. That's great. But did you take out the trash? Where God is sitting there and he's going, I've asked you to do this. This is what obedience means. Would you just do it? And we want to come up with every excuse why we don't need to do it. I've tattooed it on my arm. I've gone to a conference. I've read these books. Guys, delayed obedience is still disobedience it's still disobedience. See, God wants our yes. He wants every ounce of who we are. I don't know if you caught it in the passage that we just read. There were three times that Abraham responds, here I am. Here I am. We see it even play out in other Old Testament characters. Moses, here I am, God, in front of the burning bush. You have Samuel and Eli in the middle of the night. Here I am, God. You come to this moment in Abraham's life. Here I am. What I want you to understand, because we all make mistakes. We all have these moments where we just choose, nah, I'm not going to do that. If God can be faithful and still do the miraculous In the midst of your disobedience, what can God do with your obedience? See, God used this test. He tested Abraham. He tested Isaac. But I think he didn't test them just to see how faithful they were. But he initiated this test because he wanted them to understand how trustworthy he was. See, he showed up. The ram was there. Everything was taken care of. Consistent faith over a great moment of faith. That's what God's calling us to. What does that look like right now in your life? Like, what is the thing, what is going to take you just to live open hand and say, God, my answer is always yes. Just show me how, show me when. I don't even need the Why? because I trust you. What is it in your life that God's asking you to step up, asking you to become more consistent? For some of you in the room, maybe the first thing you need to do is give them your first yes. Maybe you never actually had done that. Or you say, I'm going to begin this relationship with you because, God, I, I know I can't do it on my own. Wherever you're at, I want you to know we as a church, we're here for you. We'd love to be able to answer those questions. The band is going to come back out. They're going to lead us in a song we just sang, The Firm Foundation. Allow God to be that firm foundation for you. Allow those words to resonate in your heart today. And let me challenge you. Give God your yes. If you've never done it, start there. Just simply say, Jesus, I need you. My answer is yes. Come into my life, take over. And you'll enjoy the journey, I promise you that. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the story of Abraham and Isaac and the power of faithfulness, the power of your faithfulness that we see in the story. God, I I pray that you give us courage to be the people that just say yes, trusting in your goodness, trusting in who you are and your character, because you're trustworthy. You've proven it time and time again. In your powerful name I pray, amen. Amen.